And this is a Good Story is Hard to Find podcast. Where two Catholic friends talk about the books and movies they love and the traces of the one reality that lie below the surface. Yes, and uh, here we are, the first episode of another year. Woohoo! Woohoo, yes. <laughs> and, is, and as is our tradition, uh, we, we love to bring a guest in on our first episode of the year. And this year we have Will Duquette. Hello, Will. Hello, Scott. Hello, Julie. Hello. Very happy to have you here. Yay! <laughs> Tickled to be here myself. <laughs> that's that's great. And uh, uh, we had you uh, select a book for us, and we're going to talk about uh, Tuyo. Tuyo by Rachel Newmeyer. Is that how everybody pronounces that title? That's, uh, that's how I pronounce it. Yeah, me good. too. Excellent. Okay, good. So that's a win. A win all around. <laughs> so, Will, uh, um, yeah, tell us about yourself. What's uh, what's going on in your world? Uh, well, what's going on in my world is since last March, I've been at home. Uh, you know, yes, reading a whole lot. Wonderful, wonderful. <laughs> um, reading lots and lots. Most of it uh, not all that good. You know, lots of what I call potato chip reading. Mm-hmm. You know, I find, uh, you know, an urban fantasy series and I, I buy the first book and then I just troll through it, you know, filling time. But once in a while, I need a palate cleanser. <laughs> and some point, I think it was last spring, I noticed that Rachel Newmeyer had a new book out, Tuyo. And so I said, you know, I've not, I've not read anything new of hers in a couple of years. I, I should take a look. I, I first encountered Rachel's books quite a few years ago now. It was the first book of her Griffin Mage trilogy, um, fantasy trilogy, which I really liked, and I reviewed it on my blog, which I was still doing a lot of back then. And uh, I, don't, I don't remember how I found the book. At some point, I came into contact with Rachel, Um, she sent me an email or maybe she sent me, you know, said, I've got a book. Would you like to review it? I really don't remember anymore. Uh, but so I've been kind of following her career and we've had occasional email contact over the years. Um, so I have a very warm feeling about her, you know, it's, it's not that many authors to whom I'm a concept, you know, Mm -hmm. nice. Yeah, but you know, not we're we're not close, you know. Mm-hmm. But uh, so this one came out, and I said, "Well, I I've liked her books. She's she's very cool. I'll try this one." And I gotta say, it kind of knocked my socks off. I, I was yeah. uh, I was expecting <laughs> an enjoyable read, and I got it. And when you asked me to be on the podcast and what book we should read, after I thought about all my old favorites, I thought, well, you know. But really, Tuyo is the standout mm-hmm. for this year so far. It was my top fiction read for last year. Wow, that's I mean, great. Yeah, I, you said you wanted to read this book. So I said, oh, I'll read the sample off the Kindle. Well, that was it. I had to buy the actual book. And I mean, it was so good. And rereading it, I thought, well, now I read it so recently. 
nope, still hit mm-hmm. me <laughs> right between the eyes. I mean, this is just really a great book. Yeah, I thought it was great, too. Um, I really enjoyed it. Would you call it an epic fantasy? You know, I, I wouldn't. Okay. There's, there's no quest. It's, it's really kind of unique. In mm-hmm. my experience. Shall I go ahead and, and talk about what it's about? Please do, yeah. Okay. I'd, I'd like to start with the world that it's set in, because it's an interesting fantasy world. Most people these days seem to be setting their fantasies on planets. You know, it may just be part of a planet, but it's a planet. It's got normal planetary climate. You know, you could go all the way around it if you tried. Tuyo's world is different. You've got the Winterlands and the Summerlands. They're separated by a river, and they have very different climates. The Winterlands, much colder. Summerlands, much warmer. Much more than you can justify in, on a normal planet just by crossing the river. Yeah. The patterns of the movements of the sun and moon are different hmm. on the two sides of the river. <laughs> I did want to say, uh, I was thinking about that just yesterday when I was looking at the book. I was looking at the cover, and I thought, this cover doesn't adequately represent the Summerland at all to me. Because I, And that's when I suddenly realized what you were saying. I was like, you know what? One side of the river is so different from the other right there that it can't be accounted for by regular climatary change the way we would know it or, or you know, from one land yeah. to another. And I just went... And I hadn't thought about the moon until you just mentioned it, but I was like, oh, yeah. Yeah, I was uh, looking for it on rereading, and it's very clear that you could cross the river and the hours of daylight are different on the other side of the river. Mm. That comes up. Mm-hmm. And and then you learn there's another land south of the Summerlands where there are two suns. Um, you know, I missed that both times. I've got this yen for for fantasy worlds that are not simply science fictional worlds with magic added. Mm. So that grabbed me once I realized it. And on each side of the river, on on the south side in the Summerlands, you have the Lao, who are a dark-skinned people who are civilized in, in a fantasy world sense. It's your basic fantasy kingdom or empire. You've got, uh, you know, regions with nobles over them. You've got the king, the summer king. Uh, They've got a standing army, all the sort of normal horses, all the sort of normal trappings Mm -hmm. of, of, you know, sword and sorcery kind of fantasy. And then on the north side, you've got the Ugaro, who are a tribal people, many different tribes. And, And they're physically, physically they're different. They're both human, but the, the... Lao are very slender. They're well adapted to the warmth of the Summerlands. The Ugaro are physically larger and bulkier, very warlike. Shorter. Shorter and very well adapted to the winter. And neither one can really live well in the other's land. So you have these two cultures that are bumping up against each other, have always probably bumped up against each other, and always will bump up against each other because neither one can supplant the other. The, the Lao couldn't really easily conquer the Winterlands and live there. Right, yeah, they're just not physically made for it. That's right, yep. and vice versa. Mm-hmm. And it sets up a, a conflict or a, 
an interface between these two cultures that is going to persist. And that's where I see the key of the story is. It's a story of the two cultures meeting. Mm-hmm. And so, it's a, a seminal moment. Do you realize by the end of the book, I don't think it's giving much away. Otherwise, why would we be reading the story? I mean, it's it's a seminal moment for both cultures. And one of the things that intrigued me and pleased me about this was how little information you get on the back of the book. It lets you go in pretty blind because uh, this kid who is, he, well, he's 19. He's not a, a kid, as he keeps saying to everybody. He's a man, and he is, by both culture standards. He has been left as a sacrifice because the Lao have been chasing his people, his tribe. Mm-hmm. And the, his brother, who's in charge of the tribes, uh, he's the war leader, I guess, at that point, he has to leave somebody as a sacrifice, as their people would do, saying, if you take and kill this person, you agree to let us get away. This is, this is our admission of failure, but we want to live. And so he's there, and you see everything through his eyes, and you realize they know virtually nothing about each other, mm-hmm. either side. And, and as it goes on, you realize the Lao don't know any more about the Ugaro than the Ugaro know about the Lao. Because you expect, because they're kind of civilized, or, you know, in the way we think of, you know, kings and courts and all this, that they would know more, but they don't. I, I made a list of how the Lao regard the Ugaro and how the Ugaro regard the Lao. And, yeah, they don't. As an example, the Ugaro are warriors, it's a warrior culture. They fight as individuals. And they're confident that the Lao are cowardly. They call mm-hmm. them the rabbit people. Mm-hmm. Because the Lao fight in formation as soldiers. Uh, of course, it also happens that fighting in formation as soldiers prevents the Ugaro from, from successfully attacking them. <laughs> the word Toyo is the... Um, it's like a title of the person that was left behind there as kind of a, I don't know, would you call it like a, it's a, well, it's a sacrifice really. Yeah. It's yeah, like, it's we've, t- we've lost this, uh, interaction. Here's one of our people. Uh, now let's leave each other alone. I think sacrifice is exactly the right word. It's, we, we see the Ugaro, as I say, a warrior culture, one very concerned with honor, but with many ways to let the steam out you mm. might say mm-hmm. to defuse conflict right right and you know for example if you say something that insults someone they will usually very politely ask if you meant to be so insulting <laughs> at, at which point you would say if you did not mean to um oh i apologize and i will take your blow you have I a right to hit me for my having insulted you. And how that plays out, it plays out many different times in the course of the book in different ways, and it's fascinating. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, that is fascinating. So so the book is about uh, this person that was given as a sacrifice, but isn't sacrificed by the receiving culture, the Lao. Uh, instead, they, they let him live and he's learning now about the culture and um you know all these this intrigue the um 
fairly complex interaction between the two and what's going on that brought him to war and all that stuff. Let me say a little more about the setup because I really should have led with this. We, we have a, this young man, Ryo, his name is, of the Ingara tribe. He's a son of the ruler. But we don't know that at the beginning. We don't know that quite yet, but it's not really, I don't, I don't think of it as a spoiler. We find out pretty quickly. And he's been left as this Tuyo after a battle between the, the Ugaro and the Lao, between their tribe, really, and mm-hmm. the Lao. And the leader of the other side, uh, we, we eventually learn that his name is Lord Aris, is a fascinating individual mm-hmm. who has never in, really encountered this custom before. The normal thing to do would be, if you were another Yugaru, is you'd say, oh, okay, they left a Tuyo, you'd kill him quickly or slowly as you preferred and call it good. And then you'd forgive. Yeah. You'd you'd move on. (laughs) You'd move on. You wouldn't forgive necessarily, but you wouldn't pursue. Right. 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 That's what I mean. And and Lord Aris Mm -hmm. decides, you know, this fellow could be useful. He could help me understand and effectively takes him into his service. That's the central thing. It's almost a buddy book. Hmm. Well, I was going to say, I like the way he approaches it. It makes me think of the Princess Bride with the de- Dread Pirate Roberts. He's like, well, I won't kill you now. I'll most likely kill you tomorrow. And he doesn't say that, but he's kind of like, well, but it doesn't say when I have to kill you, right? And he's like, uh, no, says Rio. And he goes, well, we'll just put that off for a while. For right now, you just wait around while I figure out when to kill you. And uh, in the meantime, let's do this. Yeah. So he, you see him feeling his way, as uh, obviously Rio is feeling his way too, because he doesn't know anything about them, and their cultures are so very different that even body language is uh, completely opposite. Yeah. So yeah, and yeah. Uh, I like that description. I mean, here's a person who expected to be killed, and. Um, is suddenly alive, you know, <laughs> no, we're going to leave you alive. Yeah. We might kill you tomorrow, but right now you're going <laughs> to, I love that you said that. That's so funny. Um, but, uh, but yeah, that would, that's a really interesting thing. So he's really discombobulated. He's like, well, now what? I don't, I don't understand what to do here. And, um, Ares is on the Lao side is a very smart person who like Will said, says, Hey, this could be useful. And um, I was immediately struck uh, right then that he seemed to be a very peaceful guy. He, his interest was not destruction, um, heiresses. Mm-hmm. I thought that that was a very interesting thing. You, you seem to have a, a leader that's benevolent. At least that's the way he's portraying because, you know, there's a suspicion there. Right. By the, the Toyo, by Rio. Um, you know, he doesn't know what to think of this guy. Yeah, because when they're talking about, he says, well, so would I kill you right away? How does it work, says mm-hmm. Eris? And to, Rio goes, oh, well, you know, you could. That would be the nice thing to do. But <laughs> there's a lot of you. But if all of you need a bit of me, I, you could probably, you know, slice my fingers and do all this stuff. The guy's like, oh, that's okay. That's fine. No more description needed. Yeah. We're okay. <laughs> um, you know, and he's not cringing, but he's just like, I haven't heard of this before. I don't know if I care for it. Uh, um, 
It's just really interesting. It is. Yeah, I, I highlighted the very first sentence of the whole book. Beside the coals of the dying fire, within the trampled borders of our abandoned camp, surrounded by the great forest of the winter country, I waited for a terrible death. You know, so this is the very first time that we see him. And the whole book, uh, we should add, is in first person, uh, Mm -hmm. uh, Rio's point of view, the Tuyo's point of view, right? Which is essential because the, the Laos culture is one that we're familiar with. It's not dissimilar from ours, and it's very familiar from a million fantasy novels of the sort you would have read before getting to this book. Mm. But the Ugaros is different. And that's a really good point. I hadn't thought of that. But yeah, he's discovering it, but we're able to watch him discover it because all the things he finds out are things that are familiar. That's, yeah, good point. We discover his culture in what he's discovering in the Lao culture. Right. Mm. Right. Yeah. That's brilliant. I mean, very, very well done by the author to mm-hmm. do it that way. Yeah. Oh, let's do spoilers now. Okay. Yeah. So Please. let's, let's move into those. <laughs> <laughs> Cause one of the things that yes. really hit me as I was reading this and you're both men, so you could tell me better, but I was so full of admiration for a woman writing a book. That's all about, how men and warriors think and relate to each other. Mm. Um, it, because despite everything else, they're, they're going to be adversarial. And it's about honor. It's about responsibility. It's how do you raise men to be the right kind of man? I mean, there's so many of those things embedded in this book, in, the, in what's a very exciting, interesting story that I was just full of admiration for the fact that she, to me, seemed to do it authentically. How did it feel to you guys? I think absolutely right. And, and there's a, a wonderful thing I noticed so much. They're very, a, a very polite people, the Ugaro. <laughs> they're very polite. Everyone, all the Lao tell Rio that, you know, I, I don't think you could be impolite if you chose. Mm-hmm. Multiple times. Yeah, and this yeah. is literally beaten into them when they're, they're little. It's, it's the job of their fathers, of their elder brothers, to teach them how to behave. And they do. And there's a wonderful moment toward the end of the book. Lord Aris has been spending a lot of time with Rio and with other Ugaro and has come to understand their culture very well. And at the toward the end, someone makes a suggestion that is unwelcome to both Lord, Lord Aris and to Rio's father, the chief. No, Aris and my father said together in exactly the same tone. <laughs> it involved uh, Rio's sister, I should add. So Rio's father was the one who should be allowed to have an opinion here. No, Aris and my father said together in exactly the same tone. My father raised his eyebrows, and Aris flung up his hands in complete exasperation. I cannot help it. Very well. I apologize, Lord. I had no right to speak. If you wish, I will take your blow for it. (laughs) Your nature is not that of a humble man, my father observed. No rebuke would teach you to be humble. You are not Ingara. I am not responsible for your manners. I believe I will not trouble myself. (laughs) 
Yeah. And I, I heard him say it in my head, just exactly like that. Mm-hmm. It's, it's the forms of the culture are severe and somewhat brutal, but they're not applied that way. They're applied often with humor. When the, um, when his father, Rio's father offends the overall chief or the king of the Ugaro. And he says, well, I did, you know, you could do what you want, but if you do this, our tribe is going to fight against you and we will never quit. And the king says, yeah, I know that about you guys. You never will quit. And so he stays and he's like, you know, this was a huge insult. And he's like, yeah, here's my knife. Go ahead and kill me. And it's, he's like, you're kidding. I can't do that. He <laughs> says, but I'll give you a blow. And he knocks him down. And the father's still kind of lying on the ground there. And it turns out they're cousins. And they like each other. But these forms still have to be met. But even so, it's he gives him the blow because that's what has to happen. If you stop doing that, everything breaks down. You know? Yeah. yeah. They'd all kill each other if they didn't have all this stuff in place. Yeah, I was. I admired greatly their ability to let things go um, through, whether it be with a blow. But even before we started to see that, when Rio was in the Lao camp at the beginning, you know, just getting to know Eris, there there was a couple times where um, one of them, one or the other one, would say, "Okay, what what you said that offended me was never said." And then moves right. forward as if never that happened. would never happened, right? <laughs> it was like there was some kind of a form met here, and then they could move forward without the burden of that. Um, you know, I thought that was really – that's just a fascinating thing that she had set up there, um, the author. It's, uh, mm-hmm. it's all mechanisms to avoid blood feuds. Right, right. It's mechanisms to to let these things go, Let you know uh, – to, to not be burdened by them and not let it affect the future. You know, and it's interesting because mentally I kept the descriptions. I finally, for myself, had to go, okay, the Ugaro, they're always described as being very fair, all this stuff. And I thought, okay, they're like Vikings. Hmm. All right, I can do this. And the um, Lao, I pictured them like Indians, like India Indians, you know. And um, it, it, because just for me, I needed some way to hold on. But mentally, it never worked that way. I'd find myself deep in the story thinking of the Ugaro as uh, Native Americans. Because it's that kind of very severe justice and understanding of what the rules are. And everybody's like, yeah, but this is fine. We get it. We can go on this way. And and the way they could survive great hardship and all this kind of thing. And then the um, Lao always became Europeans to me. I mean, it was my mind was going, this is, these are the cultures I know that apply to this. Um, and yet, what she did, as you're describing it, Will, I suddenly thought of the Japanese, who, especially yes. in ancient times where there are so many of them and they're all together, so their walls are their manners of politeness and etiquette, which is yes. these people. I had and that thought on this read-through yeah. as well. And she does it so well in leading you into the point, I noticed when I was rereading it especially, is you start off knowing nothing about anybody. And, of course, she's very gradually introducing you to the Lao and the Agaro through Rio and, and Eris's interactions and also the other people that Rio meets. But by the time you get into the last 
third of the book, I guess, where everybody's on the Ugaro side, it starts to come fast and thick. All the, you know, the ways the, the different people and tribes are interacting, but she does it so skillfully. I was never lost. And I had this real respect for their logic. Because in order to apply these rules that they have, they would stand up and go, well, because this person said this and that person said that, therefore, I see it like this. This makes sense to me. And people could disagree over the end result of, you know, this person should be killed or they should be let go. But their logic was impeccable. You could see their points of view and they all kind of made sense. She did a really great job on that. Yeah, she sure did. And the the willingness to stand up for your beliefs among the Ugaro was just amazing. You know, the, the yeah. king, the, the winter king of the Ugaro would ask, what would you do if I decided that so-and-so needed to be killed? Right. Well, with all due respect, that's not the language they use, but it's what they meant. I would stand in front of him. Yeah. You, you would have to kill him over my dead body. I'd take your knife. or would, I'd, I'd stand yeah. in front of your knife. Yeah. Yeah. And and they all say this, mm, and that's more grist for the mill. Yeah. You know, it's understood that that is a challenge to the king's authority that will have to be answered for, but it's respected. Right. Very much so. Hmm. Now, I'd like to point out, there is a villain in this book. Oh, brother, is there? <laughs> really nasty guy. Mm -hmm. We yes. haven't said anything about him yet. Mm -hmm. And... I find that not at all surprising because this is the very rare book where the good guys really are a lot more compelling, hmm. a lot more interesting than the bad guys. How often does that happen? <laughs> That's a good point. Yeah, that is a good point. You're right. It's it's fascinating. Yeah, because on, on this backdrop that you've described, we've got uh, sorcery going on, which we haven't mentioned. We haven't and, talked at all about that, which is amazing and uh, fascinating, you know. But but it's great. I mean, we could talk for a long time about uh, everything that we've laid out so far, and that alone is fascinating stuff. But on that, we have people that can affect the memories of uh, other people, and in fact, the whole reason for the conflict in the first place seems to uh, have been a misunderstanding based on the fact that memories were changed. It's manipulation, right? Yeah, there's we've we've got Lord Aris, who we discover is really the Summer King's troubleshooter. He's a close relative of the king, very trusted, has the king's authority. He he reminds me an awful lot of the uh, the Lord Auditors from Lois McMaster Bujold's Vorkozigan mm. series. Yes, uh huh. You know, he's 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 not frenetic like Miles Vorkozigan, but. He's the one who's sent out, who speaks with the Summer King's voice. And he's sent to the North to figure out what's going on. Why are we having these battles with the Ugaro? We didn't used to. Yeah, they didn't used to burn cities to the ground and so forth. Yeah. And so there's an early scene where Rio is there with, uh, with Lord Aris in the home of the local lord who is being very obstructive, very obstructive, considering that this man speaks with the voice of the king. But as soon as they walk in and Rio is with them, I, I, I love this quote. 
The Lord sputtered for a moment. Then he jabbed a finger at me and snapped, That is a Ugaro. You brought one of those savages into my house. Lord Aris looked at me in a puzzled way and then turned back to Kasserat. Well, as I'm staying here at the moment, installing my guest here as well did seem a reasonable course of action. <laughs> Am I to understand that you object to my guest and myself occupying rooms within your house? He paused very briefly while the other man drew breath. Before Kasserat could answer him, he added just as mildly, I certainly don't wish to discommode you. If you prefer, I shall confiscate this house and attach it as a crown property to the royal holdings, rather than obligating you to offer hospitality to an Ugaro upon your own property. I loved that. <laughs> you know, and and later on, you, you kind of wonder, why is this local lord not getting this, that, that you know, he, he needs to respect the, the authority this man has. And it comes out, well, yeah, he's been messed with. He's this, this, this enemy, this villain, this sorcerer mm -hmm. has been messing with his mind and manipulating him. And, uh, one, one of Lord Aris's people says, you know, you practically shoved your scepter of authority down his throat and he still didn't get it. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, and we've been shown any kind of sorcery is very gradually revealed because the Ugaro have such a horror and fear of it that anybody who shows a sign of magic is killed among their people because they've had bad experiences with people doing mind control. And the only example we see is somebody who has, I think he's called generous or gentle and ruthless is Aris. Mm. And we don't see his ruthless side much, but that shows a little bit of it. And then once you finally meet Lorellen, is that his name? Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, you understand just how brutal and awful it is because not only is it violating your very self with all your memories and everything, but he enjoys it. Mm. He is just pure evil. He will just be awful for the sake of it. Whereas Aris, we, we know is a more gentle-minded person, and he can't even stand hearing people's thoughts about awful things. Yeah, just to make it clear, you've 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 hinted at this, but you haven't explicitly said it. Lord oh, Aris, we discover, is a sorcerer. Oh yes, his gift was discovered very early on, and he was raised to be absolutely ethical, hmm. and you know, not to manipulate people, but. That was because they discovered it early and because of his own character. Most sorcerers it develops, they, they discover their power when they're small and they start making use of it and it warps them. It twists them. <laughs> they become sociopaths. Yeah. It may be a reflection on my own character, but I was suspicious of Eris the entire book. I was waiting for something... A, oh, a shoe really? to draw. I really was. I, I was like because at the beginning, when um, the when Rio first realizes that he's a sorcerer is when um, Eris walks in and turns on the lights, basically in this in this tent, right? Oh yeah. And then um, Rio just loses it. He's like, "Holy cow, this is a sorcerer!" And then Eris basically lies to him and says, "I'm not. I'm I'm like a minor league guy." I, I can barely do what I just did. 
you know, uh, just calm down. I'm just a, a minor leaguer here, right? And it turns out he's a great one, right? He's one of the best. Um, so for me in my head, I'm like, okay, so I was suspicious and waiting for something to occur. Like we'd find out that he had been doing something the whole time or something like that. Let not me, not uh, that he was super evil or anything, but I was expecting that. Let me defend him a bit because oh, I was I, watching there's for no that reason on to the defend him. I, I, I will let you say exactly what you want to say, but I was just like, that was my feeling through the whole thing. And like I said, that may be a reflection on me, but I didn't believe he was ethical. You know what I mean? I was, I, I believed that he might not be all the way up to the end. And, wow. and that's first mm-hmm. reading. That's fair. That's absolutely mm-hmm. fair. I bought it hook, line, and sinker. I was yeah. in love with Eris. He was wonderful. <laughs> yeah. I'm glad yeah. he justified my faith. And I'm glad um, yeah. it was cool. I, I should reread it, but that's what my thoughts were the whole time. But it's clear, because I was reading carefully for that the second time through. He is. He makes a distinction between sorcery and magic. It becomes very clear that lots of people among the Lao can do minor magics like lighting candles or fires without using a match. It's, it's very common. And it seems to be a different skill than sorcery, which mm. is reading people's minds and changing their thoughts. Mm. And which is also something that, that many people have in very, very small measure. There are a very few really skilled ones like, uh, like Aris is. But what he says is, with regard to magic, he's a very minor league magician, which very well might be true. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I don't think he ever says at that point ex- that he's not a sorcerer. He, he clearly he's implying it. He clearly <laughs> implies it. You know, mm-hmm. he's clearly trying to make Rio think that he's not a sorcerer, but I don't think he actually lies at that point. I'm not saying that he won't. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But at that point, I don't think he actually does. Right. Well, and I think that it's the author lays this out for us very clearly when uh, Rio does figure out he is a freaking sorcerer. Oh, bloody hell. And he just, he, he runs. Mm-hmm. He does. breaks his oath. He leaves. He hides. And he what he wants to do is he has to think it through. Once he gets past the horror and he's like, oh, my gosh, he's. He's messed with me. He's, you know, what's going on? And there's this whole sequence where he stops and and thinks through from the evidence, what have I seen? And he's like, well, had he made me like my guards or made me like them? Maybe, but I don't think he needed to. And he thinks through it, you know, and he says, you know, I had even, I had knocked him down. I had cracked his ribs. I did not understand how I could have done that to a man who saw into my mind. But it did not make me think I was wrong, only that I did not understand everything. Mm. And so, because he, he's like, these things don't logically hold together. And because he's trained in thinking like that, he finally decides, all right, he's a sorcerer, but he's playing fair. Mm. And I think that kind of thinking is where I never really worried about Lord Eris. Of course, I was just going through the story going, this is amazing. <laughs> but um, yeah. then what you see, and I'm just now thinking about this, is later on when Rio's mind has been grievously ruined or traumatized by Lorellen, the evil sorcerer. And he is so tempted 
to kill Eris when they have to go on that forced 19-day march to get to safety together, he's using that very same kind of logic to continually remind himself, no, 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 the, no, I, 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 this logic doesn't hold together. This person taught me to wrestle. This thing mm. has happened. I'm pretty sure he's not awful, and if he is, I'll kill him later. <laughs> you know, Dread Pirate Roberts reversed. Right, I'll right. probably kill you in the morning. <laughs> I'd really like to kill you, but I'm going to hold up yeah, one night. Yeah. Um, and so it's because of that training in thinking through giving offense and taking offense that he's even capable of um, evaluating if he's a sorcerer. And I was so impressed by everyone's logic, you know, the women's logic later when we meet them and they're, you know, going through things, uh, making their own judgments when they're asked to give their opinion. Um, but that's what helped me, I guess, never really think about, oh, no. it's I mean, because the one time that he actually really lies is when he goes, well, I'm just not as powerful as Cyril, and I'm sorry. We're all screwed. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and at the very end, it's like, well, I, that's I for sure. might not have been told the truth about yeah. that. <laughs> I'm and I, I'm, yeah, I'm I'm positive that my feelings on it too were exacerbated by having read you know things like Philip K. Dick, where, you know, once you get into this manipulation of memory stuff, it's like okay, well everything is now distrusted. There's no, I mean, how do we, how do we know who is dealing with factual information and who's not? Um, yeah, you know that 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 whole aspect of it was with me throughout the whole thing. Once. Once uh, she started talking about memory manipulation, um, you know, the whole reason that we're fighting in the first place is because um, this sorcerer has created this situation where they have no choice but to fight. You know, uh, the Yugaro needs something that the Lao have and the Lao won't trade for it anymore suddenly, right? So mm -hmm. it, it creates, you know, well, what do you do? You know, you're going to survive. you got to survive. So eventually you're going to have to fight over the resources. So, so yeah, so that was in my head too. And, and there was a lot of really great things that she did um, with that stuff, you know, with what Lorellen was able to do especially. Um, it just, just it was really horrifying stuff. It's like, oh, yeah. you know, uh, and, and how Rio acted during that time where you just said where he was, you know, really struggling to not kill Eris because of memories yeah. that he had had implanted about Eris. Right. Yeah. Really good stuff. Yeah. But I was distrustful of everything. So, um, but oh, Eris, Eris included. Yeah. Scott, that's <laughs> you, you see, Scott, this is why I don't read Philip K. Dick. <laughs> it's, uh, you know, I don't mind the author messing with the minds of the characters, but when he starts messing with mine, I object. <laughs> there you go. You know, you bet. I am, I am willing to be perplexed about what's going on in the story, but I shouldn't be confused. Right. Yeah. I, I may not I understand you. the details, but I want to know mm -hmm. what they are. Yep. And and yep. Dick just, right. yeah, I, I can't trust anything the man writes. Peter, mm -hmm. and that there what you you're go. Oh, yeah, that's that's really the uh, that's really the thing, isn't it? You know, you're not yeah. you're not sure what he's telling you is truthful or not, even from the character's perspective. Yeah, he's a sorcerer, and I don't trust him. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> there you go. <laughs> yeah. I love the it. The way is the right way sometimes. That's oh, awesome. Yeah. Um, one of the things I also liked throughout this book, and again, uh, not going to talk about the 
uh, sorcerer, sorry, the bad sorcerer. But um, And I think it's because she sets up so many conditions that he he is important. The evil sorcerer is important. He's the uh, impetus for the story, for one thing. But you're right. It's a buddy novel or a, not even a buddy novel because they're never that good of friends. But it's it's just, I don't know, it's just fascinating and unique. Anyway, um, but I liked the acknowledgement throughout from Rio and his people that it's normal to make mistakes, often by people who hold themselves to a really high standard and don't want to forgive themselves. So the father is telling, it says at one point, well, everybody makes mistakes. It's what you do afterwards, you know, do you learn from them or not? Uh, Rio at one point early on, you know, says, well, everyone makes mistakes. Um, I, I don't hold that against somebody and I don't hold it against myself, although he does. The whole time he's from the very beginning, because of his high standards, he's haunted by the words he flung after his brother. And he's like, that wasn't fair. He was yeah. right and I was wrong. And he was so glad to see him because his brother was just crushed by those words. And he's like, no, I was absolutely wrong to say it. Uh, All he wanted was a chance to apologize. Then, as Will pointed out, it's forgotten. It, those, these words were never said. Yeah, I really, yeah. really love that point. In fact, I highlighted what I thought was a really nice sentence that is about that. It says, it is not given to any man to know what will come of his actions, and yet men must act. Yes. Yeah. And so. it leaves, it, it has an impact on you, but it is, as the father says, what do you do later? And at one point, um, this is when Rio is trying to figure out, I believe, was the, was Eris uh, being an evil sorcerer to him, mm-hmm. you know, when he'd run away and he was thinking things through. And he said, um, Long before that, at the very beginning, he had made me fear he might pursue and kill my brother and all our warriors. I saw now that had been the same kind of mistake. It had not occurred to him I might think he would do such a thing. Mm. This was the kind of mistake that would only be made by a man who was by nature generous rather than cruel. I thought again of how he had said, I'm sorry I frightened you, he said. The mistake was mine. And then he says, well, there's never a story among his people about a sorcerer who would apologize for anything or say he made a mistake. And I thought, so she's also talking about um, what you can tell by people's mistakes, what it tells you about them, not only in what do they do to correct it, but what does it mean that they made that mistake in the first place? What does it tell you about their character? You know, are, are you, do you do it because you're fearful? Do you do it because, as in this case, you're too generous? It would never occur to you? Do you? So they're so busy thinking about all, everybody's motivation all the time. Mm, the yeah. Ugaro, you would think, are, should be a very simple people, but this hard code they live by makes them have to really be observant. Yeah. And she's making a lot of really interesting observations repeatedly in different ways in this book. And I really loved the character of it and i think maybe that's why the action is so important it's it's so good but what's underneath that anchors it is true mm. with a capital t yeah agreed agreed i think she's done something really wonderful here this is this is a very good book you mm. know and uh you know rio questioning himself and and working that out I mean, it, it's all just fascinating how she does it yeah cuz she does it it makes it sound like it's really cerebral and it's really not it's in between a lot of things happening yeah right you know? right one of the things this brings out for me that i really love is 
every culture has its own besetting sins <laughs> and its mm-hmm. own virtues. There, there is one set of good behavior, you might say, one set of virtues, but different cultures or di- the same culture at different times exhibit them differently, value those virtues differently. And so if we look back at the Middle Ages, we see things going on that horrify us, and we're right. But if they looked at our world, they would see things that would horrify them, mm. and they're right. <laughs> yeah. Okay? In, in this book, we have two finely drawn cultures where you can see the same thing going on. It's not that the Lao are good and the Ugaro are, are horrible, wicked, evil people. They're both good. They're both pursuing virtue. But they're emphasizing different things because that's the way cultures are. Hmm. And it really lets us see a culture very different from ours and how they are pursuing the good. And that's something we desperately need today, I think, is that... That that kind of vision, yeah, yeah. At least some some way to look at uh, other people without feeling uh, uh, super negative about them, <laughs> you know, with with love instead of hatred. Yeah, what they're doing does make sense. It's not that understanding lets me forgive everything. Yeah, you know, right. but there's something to be understood. They're they're not just wrong headed, and they wind up influencing each other in good ways because the people who are involved are all, as you're saying, pursuing virtue. They're all so men that, of goodwill. Right. They're all men of goodwill. And they're trying to um, take what's good and include it without really thinking of it that way. So at the end, you really see this when the tribes are together and the first thing that has to be done is the two tribes that are battling one of which is the Ingara Rios tribe, and one of which is Inkara, maybe. Yeah. Um, they the Inkara leader brings his young son and says, "Here's I'm giving him his tuyo to you, to make up for everything, so we can get along and fight this big battle together." And the the kid is he's what twelve, thirteen. He's yeah. young. And he's obviously terrified, but trying to do the right thing. The father clearly loves him, but this is what has to be done. And Rio's father takes the example that Eris gave and said, all right, well, we don't have to do anything right now. We'll just think about it and see what happens. You know, we'll keep them for a while. Maybe, and, and maybe they'll even give him back later, but maybe what'll happen is they'll keep him. He'll grow up with them, seeing his own tribe often enough. And that fosters further understanding. And so that's um, something that was, born of a gentle or generous nature from a different culture who wasn't used to this and given back in a different way and adapted because of that. And that's, you you really wish we were able to do that more often. Mm. And and one of the examples I like in the book um, that we're shown is not everybody so obviously, you know, oh, you saved my son. Let's all be wonderful together like the father is in his very tough way, Um, (laughs) but is the Royova Invotaro. He is not friendly to sorcerers. He's not necessarily caring about Rio much. He's pretty hostile most of the time. He's reasonable because that's what you are when you're a war leader. 
Um, but even at the end, he's like, when they're voting on what do they do with Aris, and he says, well, uh, I wouldn't say you shouldn't kill him. Um, if you don't, that's okay. But if you do, I'll do it myself so it's quick and, and easy for him. You know, so he's like, this is as much as I'm going to give. And it's important to have those descending views so that we see how everything is handled between everybody. I, I like that about uh, Rayovara because his job, his tribe is not a normal tribe. It's, it's basically the, the Winter King's standing army to the extent he has one. Yeah. It's a tribe made up of people who have volunteered to fight, and it's only warriors. That's all it is. And his job is to keep the Winter King safe and, and keep the peace, in other words. And it's his job to be suspicious. Mm-hmm. You know, he's acting as he needs to in his role. But as you say, he's not unreasonable. Yeah, because what we see is there are people, obviously, who are going to be unreasonable in any group of people. But we're shown the best examples, generally, in the Ugaro. Just mm-hmm. like we are among the Lao, really. Yeah. I mean, the bad people we see have mostly had their minds messed with by this very evil man. That's right. So, um, there, there have to be, you know, sneak thieves and bad people and all the <laughs> other stuff, but you know, that's not what the book's interested in. And in fact, um, it's interesting to me, as you say, we keep having to kind of go, Oh, Oh, and there's an evil sorcerer because it's not a book about magic, despite being a magically fought war in many ways. And that was a relief to me because, I am really tired of books about magical things. You know, you pick up a new book and I was interested in this author after I read this and it was like, and there's her Maj series or whatever. And I went Griffin Maj series and I went, it's probably great, but I just can't do it. <laughs> you know, yeah. I, I, I think like you'd it like it. Yeah. Probably so. And I will try it sometime because I trust her because of this, but so often it's, I don't know. I just, yeah. it, it's such a trope in many ways for <laughs> fantasy these days. I do. I do so hear this- you, but there, there were some things in here that were just cool. <laughs> yeah. well, you know, uh, you know, just in the fantasy way, fantasy oh, magic yeah, way, yeah, yeah. like, um, you know, if you, you have this big battle going on and you have sorcerers that are, you know, fighting each other in a way that you can't quite see, but then things would happen like suddenly, uh, a, a, an army would start fighting each other. Yeah. Everybody on the same side suddenly turns to each other and they're fighting each other. And you're just like, oh my gosh, you know, uh, that, that was just something. And then that whole uh, cold thing that occurred. Um, the fingal. Yeah. The, yeah, the fingal. Right. That was that amazing was too. Amazing. Um, just, just, you know, some, so some really nice fantasy moments that I think uh, readers of fantasy just eat up you know yeah i thought it was i thought she just did it it's just so well done but it's not uh her point of the book and there are a lot of um you know epic fantasies that that's really the point is getting these things set up so people can have a war and um kind of feels manipulated a little bit you know stuff happening in order for this to happen but yet for this author i was really impressed just by the whole book, uh, not only are all these details, but just how it flowed and how that wasn't the main point of it, how these things were happening amongst real people um, that I believed in these cultures. 
Um, so it's really a winner of a book. I, I would highly recommend it. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. it's doing something very different. Yeah, you know, it's yeah. There's an evil sorcerer. Yeah, there's a war, but it's not about that. Right. Yeah. <laughs> it's about the encounter between Rio and Lord Aris, mm-hmm. and between their cultures. Yeah. Coming to understand each other, and that that kind of makes it sound like uh, you know a goody goody sort of book. You know, <laughs> that's not it. But that, but it no. I found it incredibly compelling. Both yeah. both reads very compelling. Oh, yeah. yep. Absolutely. And I have to say, when Rio stopped and was defending uh, Lord, was it Inanna? The the one who said, you know, I'm the one who I knew that the guys who were being killed, the Ugaro who were being killed for this offense, weren't the right ones. But I'm yeah, so Nicholas. Mad. Nicholas Yano. Yeah, okay. But later the the father's heard about this and he says to Rio, he goes, Oh yeah, I'd heard about that thing. And he stops and he goes, He made a mistake and he was sorry. And he treated me better than he should, and he died with great honor. And I have to say, the second time through, I was surprised. I had tears in my eyes when he said it. Mm-hmm. I felt it strongly. Um, you know, it, it was really it was a compelling book. I was there with Rio the whole time. I, I should add, she has a follow-on called Nicholas, which is a very short prequel. It's not, it's not really a full novel, but it tells Nicholas's story and how he comes into Lord Ara's service. Mm. And, and I enjoyed it. It's, it's not Tuyo. You know, yeah. I'd like to see more in this world. Mm. Uh, but it was, it, was, it was interesting, and it, it cast light on his character, and I enjoyed it. Hmm. Very nice. So, for well, what it's worth. And she teases that at the end, she says, you know, it's a rich world and I want to write more about it. And um, she was mentioning that at that time, the Nicholas book hadn't come out yet. But I was really struck also by her restraint. So there's way, way where it's really hot further south. There's this group of people who they have heads like jackals. And I was like, you know, they're super <laughs> black and they yeah. have black heads like jackals. And I was like, Oh, well, that's, you know, they're wearing masks or something. And later on you meet one. And it's like, no, it's for real. It's a jackal head with the ears that go back and the jaws. And then it's like, but she's super cultured. She, you know, she's using telepathy because otherwise, how do you uh, talk if you have a dog head, essentially? And I was like, the fact that that person is just used as a kind of a wise woman over to the side who has a stake in some things was so restraintful. A lot of authors would have said, let's break these people in. They mm. need to be part of this. Too. Yeah. Yeah. And I thought uh, how she, all the description of that was fantastic. Mm-hmm. Uh, she did a great job as, as an author put, putting that in there. And, and like you said, you know, there, there was this restraint, but you feel like that's a place she, she could go um, mm-hmm. in the future. Um, but it, I loved it. I thought that was awesome. <laughs> And it was just, it was just, you know, you love Rio. He's mm. so earnest because he's 19. I don't care how old he thinks he is. He's 19. And, you know, so there's all, also the stuff about, oh, the uh, Winter King's daughter, Dara. Oh, she didn't even look at me. Mm. Oh, no. And Eris is like, you'll get her to look at you later. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's just, there's all those little touches that make everybody so human. You know? Well, and in, in fact, in that scene, I don't, think he was upset that she didn't look at he was upset that she didn't look at him he just she didn't they're not 
they're not unattracted to each other. They've there they there have been talks. They both know they're almost certainly going to get married one day, mm-hmm. which tells you something about uh, Rio's tribe and how right, it stands important. in the rankings. But there are forms to follow. It's very common in this culture that to get a wife, you raid the neighboring tribe. Right. Who are waiting for you. And and the young ladies who are prepared to be married are all dressed appropriately. I loved that. You know, and you're supposed to take them and then you have to woo them once you get them home. And it's really embarrassing if one of them decides they want to go back to their home tribe. No one wants that to happen. Right. Right. Well, yeah. well, and it was funny because all the stuff that I was going to say, you know, even though this is mostly a male dynamic with what's going on, it, there are very interesting observations made about the difference in how women are treated in both cultures. And again, as you pointed out, Will, it's more what we expect for women who like the wife of a, a lieutenant or a sergeant or whatever it is that is with the tribe. You know, they might be cooking for it or doing whatever. Um, and so Rio's really surprised because in his tribe, women are much more important than that. And um, th- But the level of importance in the way it's expressed is not how we in our culture would think of it at all. And so I did love her kind of examination very briefly of the different dynamics of men and women in these warring cultures and, and how they're, um, they have a say, hmm. but it's very different between both of them. So it was nicely done. Yeah. In, in the Ugaro culture, the women have their own domain, you might say. Yeah. They're very important. There are things that are their responsibility. And so we don't see that much of them because we're looking at the man's world, but their importance is vital and, and very clear. Yeah. Indeed. Indeed. So I was just looking a little more into her. So Tuyo, uh, this book is looks like a self-published book. Um, I don't see a publisher there, but she's been published. Uh, looks like by Orbit and uh, Random House and Knopf. So she's been around a little while. I hadn't uh, come across her before. Yeah, and she's been kind of on a roll. Good. Um, Gr- the Griffin Mage trilogy I mentioned that was her second outing. Uh huh. And, and so it's a little uneven in spots, um, though I reread it recently and quite liked it still. But she's, she's had a number of interesting books come out recently. She's really grown as an author over the uh, about 10 years or so hmm. um, that have been quite good. Tuyo is, is her best, I think. That's great. To date. Mm-hmm. But yeah, look at her, look at her back catalog. Some yeah, good that's stuff I'm in kind there. of looking at it right now. That's, that's mm-hmm. nice. Well, I just had to let Tuyo settle uh, before I do anything else. I was like, nothing else is going to be as good. You know, you read those books and you go, well, now I just got to read Edgar Wallace, speaking of potato chip books, for a while and read about some, you know, uh-huh. some uh, detectives in London and some, you know, reporters who are discovering crime with a smart lady by their side. Because I can't uh, handle it. There's I no Tuyo it. waiting for me. Yes, indeed. So, anyway, I'm so glad you picked this. Yeah, me too, Will. Um yeah, we're um, we're reaching the end of the podcast. Will is there anything else that you would like to say about this book? Um, there's a there's a section that I, I quite like. Let me let me read this. It's an extended quote. Please do. At at one point, Lord Aris's troops have captured 
uh, a large body of the Inkara tribe. That's the one who their their leader, their chief, gives a tuyo to Rio's tribe at the end of the book. Their war leader is Hokino Inkara, who is becomes a very important person in the book. And Lord Aris has him brought before him. And the war leader came close enough so that he could speak and be heard. He looked up at Lord Aris. Then he looked at me. He said grimly, I am Hokino Inkara, brother of Sorrow Inkara. Who are you other than a dog of the Lao? Of course, I should have expected that, but somehow I had not. The surge of anger I felt made it easy for me to answer him as such an insult deserved. You can't ignore insults in this culture. You just can't. Sliding down from my mare, I strode forward and hit him across the face with the back of my fist, hard enough to show that my arm was not weighed down by guilt or shame. The war leader stood unmoving and took the blow because he knew he had earned it. Or he knew he had earned it if I were not what he had called me. Hmm. If I had not hit him, he would have known his words were true and he could not trust anything I said. I am the brother of Garoyo Ingara, I told him. The war leader of the Lao did to my brother what he has done to you. Unlike you, my brother got across the river, but the Lao followed. We could not keep ahead of them. Therefore, my brother left me as Tuyo. The Lao war leader proved to have an unusual idea of what use he might make of a Tuyo. Thus, I am here. I have sworn to obey his orders. I do not deny that. But I do not answer any man's whistle. If you call me a dog again... I will kill you myself. Now, he is the son of a chief, but he's a young son. He's not a war leader. He is socially very, very far below a war leader of another tribe, with whom his tribe is is not at peace. They are enemy tribes. And so you'd think this is really very gutsy of him to go up and hit this guy, but no, this is what's expected. And Hokino responds like this. He blotted the blood from the corner of his mouth with his hand. Then he said, So, Ryo Ingara, is it, a son of Sinoa Ingara? So, I agreed. He looked at me for another moment. Then he said, I have not heard that the sons of Sinoa Ingara come to heal for any man. Very well, I beg your pardon, Ryo Ingara. I was wrong, and I regret the insult. He bowed his head to me, though he did not kneel. I was too young for a man like this to kneel to me, and he was not sure of me even yet. I forgive it, I said. It is forgotten. It was never said. Hmm. That, that, to me, just is the essence of the Ugaro in a nutshell. Mm-hmm. This is the way they respond to conflict. They, they meet it head-on. But thinking, and I, I didn't want to let the podcast get by without uh, <laughs> well, without it. sharing that moment. Very nice. Yep. Yeah, and you know, it really highlights the one last thing I, w- I really wanted to get in, which is the body-mind or body-soul connection that you see in this book. Oh, yeah. We're giving the physical response, because that's what we understand. We are a warrior people. But the intellect that's going along with it in that argument, I understand what this means. I we're giving and we're taking, and that's emphasized when the minds of the people are being taken over during the battle, and um, Rio himself 
he's thinking an, a dead enemy is coming toward him. And he's like, well, I know he's not there. He's dead. And he goes, okay. But he, so he has to say, because I see an enemy and whoever was holding his arm, let's go. And then suddenly he can, he calms himself down. He has control of his mind again. And it was his father. He would have stabbed his father. And he's reminded over and over again, trust your body, trust your body. And so He'll go, I'm surrounded by, you know, these kind of bad people, but his body will not be reacting that way. Or mm -hmm. he will think he's with a friend and he'll kill him. But it turns out he was being mind controlled, but his body knew what he saw, even though his mind didn't. And so that mind-body control uh, is, to me, it was very affirming of the fact that we are whole people. You know, these things work together. You can't mm. separate one from the other and have it work right. If that makes sense. Yeah, sure does. It's, Absolutely. It's really great. Mm -hmm. So I really, I liked that. And, and what you read without me expecting it actually really reinforced all that, the way that they, they have this holistic approach. And the Lao do too, just differently, more mm. as we would expect, you know, as the civilized people, so to speak. <laughs> now we know they're both civilized in a very different way. Right, right. Yeah, that's great. Yep, very, very good story. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, and I have you to thank also, Will, for the curse of Shalyan. And then, of course, oh. I found Paladin of Souls on my own. But I would not <laughs> have known about that otherwise. And that was another fantastic book Oh yeah, that we've talked about both of those. So um, yeah. our previous Our previous episode was Paladin of Souls. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, uh, I always pass things along if I come across them. <laughs> yeah. Wonderful, wonderful. Well, thank you so much again, Will. Thank you for being here. I'm delighted. Great. Yes. So next up for us, Julie, is uh, True Grit, a movie. The movie, not the book. Uh, Which one? The 2010 one with Jeff Bridges. Ooh, I yeah. like that one. Very. Me, me too, very much. Mm -hmm. Looking forward to seeing that. Yeah. All right. It's kind of funny to leave the Ugaro and then go out to the Old West where <laughs> things are kind of similar. Kind of similar, <laughs> right? This is going to be fun. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, thank you, Will. Thank you, Julie. Yes, thank you. And uh, we'll see you all next time. Thank you, everyone, yeah. for listening. Talk to you in a couple of weeks, everyone. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. <laughs>